Ahoy, Buck fans! Are ye looking for a different kind of podcast that centers on the yellow-bellied opponents? Well, you've come to the right place. Get ready for an enjoyable, in-depth look back at the important moments, historical facts, and games for the Buccaneers against this week's opposition. It's the No Quarter Given podcast on the BuckPower.com podcast network. Now, let's get started with your co-hosts, Jason Powers and Peter Blake. Buck fans, it's a winning week, Thanksgiving week. The Bucks are back off the schneid, ended that two-game losing streak with an emphatic 30-10 W over the New York Giants on Monday Night Football, and we are 7-3, back on track. Welcome to the No Quarter Given Podcast, the Week 12, aver- uh, week 12 edition, Thanksgiving edition as well. I'm your host, Jason Powers, along with my co-host, Peter Blake. Welcome, Peter. What's going on? What's going on, buddy? Happy Thanksgiving. And uh, speaking of Thanksgiving, Daniel Jones was giving out plenty of turnovers last night, wasn't he? Yes. And, and today, after after all those turnovers, Mr. Jason Garrett got given his pink slip out of New York. <laughs> that was kind of the, the, the news of the day was, was, the, was the firing of Jason Garrett by Joe Judge. From all indications, Joe Judge killed Jason Garrett in the uh, press conference last night post-game, which nice. led to the firing and the dismissal today as offensive coordinator in New York. Yeah, and that offense struggle. Look, they got lots of talent, but it comes down to first and foremost, is Daniel Jones going to be your future franchise quarterback? I still think that that's in doubt. And then on top of it, you have to keep Saquon Barkley healthy. But they do have some weapons there. You could see it last night, Kadarius Tony out of uh, Florida, really showed some flashes of brilliance. But besides that, that offensive line was atrocious. So you have to figure out, first, do you have a quarterback? If you do, you got to put a better line around him, and then you got to keep your premier running back healthy. And that's been difficult the last couple of years. So you kind of feel bad for Garrett, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's a production league. Yeah, I mean, and you you have to question – one is Saquon Barkley premier anymore after his knee surgery, his ankle issues. Is he a premier running back or is it just, or do we always just think back to his rookie year of the great year he had his rookie year? He hasn't been the, he hasn't been the same since after that rookie year, even before his knee injury, he's had a full ACL reconstruction. He had an ankle issue. Is he got, is he that same guy as he was when he came out of Penn state? I mean, that's the reason why you don't draft a running back in the first round anymore because you can get one in the second, third, fourth round. You're exactly right. Uh, And you kind of wonder because he hasn't been productive. He's been off injured and, uh, you know, at a a certain point, what is it? Availability is your best uh, or what is it? Yeah. Availability is your Your best best ability. It's your best ability. ability. Right. So we'll see. But he hasn't been available and he came up versus a – Bucks defensive line without Vita Vea last night, second in the league, and they completely made him non-existent, which is what you had to do. You had to put the onus on Daniel Jones to win the game, and of course he couldn't. And you know, everybody in and, and, and the question the question everybody in New York has, I mean, obviously Daniel Jones has been there. This is year three, I believe. Yeah. You know, he's had some decent moments, but he's had way too many moments, knucklehead plays like last night. 
He's scrambling. He throws the ball completely across his body to nobody but Steve McClendon, who's laying on the ground when he catches the ball, basically. And there's just been too many moments like that for Daniel Jones, who, again, was the sixth overall pick in the draft. A lot of people thought that the Giants reached for him at number six, could have got him later in the draft. You know, Dave Gettleman, the GM, under a lot of heat in New York for, you know, he's the one that put this offensive line together. You know, Solder, Hernandez, you know, Andrew Thomas, the other tackle spot that's been a lot very critical. You know, so the question is, is that the is J- Jones's production relative to what's been around him, or is Jones just not that good of a quarterback? I think it's a combination of both, you know, because at the end of the day, you have to build around that franchise quarterback. But like you said, he's still committing the same mistakes he did as a rookie. You can't continue to do that. And I said last night on the pregame show on NSPN and I love St. Pete, uh, Bucks fans had to deal with that with Jameis Winston committing the same type of mistake. So I'm not, not sure if you're ever going to get that out of him as, as much as potential as he has. At the end of the day, you can't turn over the ball in the NFL. He did it last night. He's done it throughout his career. I'm not sure if he's going to be able to shake that. And eventually, I think maybe they move on and go in a different direction, much like the Arizona Cardinals did. One year, Josh Rosen, and then Kyler Murray's your guy. Could be the same thing. It's taken a couple years, but uh, they had to figure it out, and I think they have it figured out here eventually. A lot of speculation that Dave Gettleman won't be the GM at the end of the year. The question will be, if he's not the GM – does, do the Maras, do they get rid of Joe Judge as well? The, the, the Mara family, the Giants, ten, their tendency has been to give guys an extra couple years. You know, I know lately they've been a little quick trigger, but, you know, they've given guys like Parcells, you know, the guys back in the day when they were, that were struggling, they gave them that extra year or two. It'll be interesting to see what they do with Joe Judge, if they give him another year with a new GM or if, they, or if he tells the new GM, hey, you get, to, you get to make the decision on the coach. I mean, that's how it should be. I mean, honestly, that's the way it should work. That's the way the framework should work in the NFL. You hire a new GM, the GM hires the coach. And may I suggest a couple of names out there? Lewis Reddick, that would be the first guy I call as a GM. Uh, possibly a Brian Dayball as the coach who you know, had great development with a Josh Allen. Or, uh, I don't know, the guy in Kansas City who hasn't gotten a call for a head coaching job. Uh, and the guy escapes my name right Eric now. Be enemy. Be Eric Bieniemy. Eric Bieniemy. Why not? Give him a call if you're going to keep Daniel Jones around. But at the end of the day, clean house, get a new GM, get a new coach, get a direction at this point. And if Daniel Jones isn't your quarterback, start all over again. And then again, and again, I know we're not going to get into a whole lot in the draft, but this is not a great year for quarterbacks at the college level as far as big quarterbacks coming out. So there's not that one or two guys that you say, hey, that guy's going to be a top five pick as a quarterback. So that may be in a situation. Again, some interesting names that could be available this offseason. Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, guys like that. Again, New York City is a big market. Do the Giants make a big splash? Remember, they have an extra first-round draft pick this year. For the trade they made for with just with the Bears, for the Bears get Justin Fields, so they got two number ones this year. They're going to be high picks. Both teams are struggling, so both picks will probably be in the top ten or twelve. So, do you package a couple of those picks together, maybe to go after a guy like Russell Wilson, who I think this is the beginning of the end of Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll in Seattle. I agree with you on that, and I think Russell Wilson would fit perfectly there uh, with the uh, with this big market. Right, his, big market. His Sierra. wife, his right. wife, Sierra. Right. 
Exactly. But you got to build an offensive line around him also. So right. if you have those two first round picks, they should spend them on offensive linemen to once again, protect Russell Wilson, because what's the reason why Wilson's out of Seattle, they're not putting enough around him. But in that same breath, Russell Wilson is not helping out that situation by having one of the richest contracts in the national football league, take a little less. And I don't know, maybe your team is able to have some financial flexibility. Just saying. All right, let's get to the winning side of this formula last night, the Buccaneers. What'd you think of, what'd you think of the Buccaneers performance? I thought I liked that they came out and had to hurry up offense. That first drive went right down the field and scored. I was at the game. I had a great, we were sitting in the end zone. So we had very good seats. Um, we were about 25 rows up, so we had a great view of things. I liked that they came out and played up-tempo offensively. Uh, Gronk's presence back in the offense opens up every, more f- space for everybody in the offense. You saw that. Gronk was very involved again last night, and I really thought the efficiency on offense was pretty good, other than the one gaff by Evans, which created the turnover uh, late in the second quarter. I thought they did play pretty well at offensively. They had to because, look, here is the Giants coming into the situation three and six, playing pretty good football. At the end of the day, the Bucs are not playing good football. Losers of two in a row, especially to the Washington football team where they got thoroughly embarrassed. They came out with urgency. They talked about it all week long. B.A. talked about how this team was dumb last night. They cleaned up those mistakes, even though they did have the one turnover in the first half. After that, it was relatively clean. And the defense was able to get off the field one for nine for that Giants offense on third down conversions. They also put pressure on Jones, which in turn caused some turnovers. So to me, very clean ball game last night. That's what you're supposed to do. And the next challenge will be the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday. We'll get to that here at the end of this episode. We'll definitely get to uh, this big matchup against Jonathan Taylor, Carson Wentz and the Colts up in Indianapolis this week. So, um, defensively, I liked, again, you mentioned defensively, I liked Sean Murphy Bunning back in the lineup. That's again, helps out that secondary a little bit. If they can get Carlton Davis back here in the next couple of weeks, who knows if it's two weeks, three weeks, whatever it is, Vita Vey is probably going to be back in a couple of weeks. So if you can get healthy, the schedule is pretty favorable after, after you got Indianapolis and Buffalo coming up. But after those two, you've got a very, very favorable schedule the last five, six weeks of the season. You're absolutely right, and B.A. was talking about it today. Vea may be back this Sunday versus the Colts, and you look at the difference between that back end with Sean Murphy Bunting coming back. They're really solidified. That secondary B.A. talked about how they played a lot better than he thought they would, and then on top of it, looking over at the offensive end, Rob Gronkowski, not only as a pass-catching threat, but also as an inline blocker. He makes so much of a big difference, and I was laughing about it last night. He is basically Tom Brady's security blanket. Oh, absolutely. That's 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 the thing that you love. Third down, third and medium, third and short. You know, if it's third and four, third and five, third and six, Gronkowski in a lot of situations is probably the first. Is if he may not be the first option on the play card, but when he when Brady drops back to pass, if he sees it Gronk open, he's gonna disregard the play and he's throwing the ball to, to Gronk because he's so reliable with his hands. He knows how to run routes, get to the first down markers. And he's just very good after you saw he had a big third down third and 10. I think it was for about 25 yard catch. Again, he was just, and again, he opens up space for other guys, for Evans, for Godwin, for Brayton, when OJ Howard and Brady are in the game together with Gronk, he just opens up space for everybody. He really does. And you could see that last night getting through the zone and just Brady trusting him, even when he's not necessarily open right away, just the 
timing of it, their timing together, and that offense is going to be that much better. Of course, it looked better last night, but Antonio Brown more than likely is coming back to this offense, so they're going to get all their pieces back. Uh, Ali Marpet was out last night with, uh, it looks like an oblique injury. Aaron Stenny came in. He performed very well. The offensive line, that was another big key to it. They kept Brady clean. And when you keep Brady clean, you're over 70% completion percentage passer, 21 touchdowns, four interceptions. That's the key. When it's not clean, he's under 50%. That's amazing. All right. Before we get to, before we get to the Colts series, two things I want to hit on. Mm-hmm. One, Paul Stewart in town. We went. We were fortunate enough to go have dinner with Paul last Thursday here in the in the Bay Area over in Clearwater, and uh, awesome guy to meet. He was in town. Obviously, he's been in town. He's going to be in town for about ten days from over in England. Again, BuckPower.com. We're part of his podcast network. That's what this uh, podcast is is being broadcasted on. Just a cool guy to meet. So much history. So many stories from London, from here how he got started with the website, just all, all, all things, all things bucks, your thoughts about Paul Stewart. Oh, he's awesome. I mean, and you could listen to the guy talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers all night long. So many great stories. And then on top of it, we're at Hooters, the world famous Hooters, the first one in Clearwater on golf to Bay, my neck of the woods. So the food was good. The conversation was even better. And it was great uh, meeting Mr. Paul Stewart. And, and rumor has it, Somebody in the party had had some eyes for the waitress. <laughs> she looked she looked like Megan Fox to me with blonde hair. I mean, honestly, and you saw her too. So, yeah, I mean, Miss Sierra, Miss Sierra, yes, Miss Sierra, <laughs> and she looked like Megan Fox. And she's like, "No, I don't." I'm like, "Yes, you do." And I, you know, gave her my phone. And I saw Peter. I saw somebody exchanging some Instagrams, some yeah, phone numbers. Absolutely. <laughs> Why not? You hey, gotta you got- do that. Look, I, I'm single. I'm not married. I got no kids. There I'm you go. I feel like I'm 23. I'm in my prime, <laughs> baby. I'm ready to go. <laughs> there you go, Peter Blake. I like it. I like it. Thank oh, you, that's Mark, funny. Man. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All I right. Follower too on Instagram. <laughs> All right. Thanksgiving week. The Bucs have only made one appearance on Thanksgiving. We chronicled this back in week one. They played in Dallas 2006. Tony Romo torched us for five touchdowns, 38 to 10 Cowboys in the thumping of the Buccaneers. Um, give me your, th- and just, it doesn't have to be Buccaneer games. Just give me in general, any big mem- uh, Thanksgiving memories, watching games, things like that on Thanksgiving. I mean, Miami and Dallas in the snow. and it's Leon Letts. Leon Letts. Leon Lett making another dumb play, which, you know, he did that in the Super Bowl against the uh, Buffalo Bills, where it looks like he's going to score a touchdown and he doesn't have the ball and he gets the ball knocked out. You're exactly right. And then, of course, it gives Miami new life at that point. They go on, to, I, to believe, to kick a field goal. They to did. Win the game. That was probably the most exciting Thanksgiving game I've ever seen. Everything else, you know, for me, it's done in this order. You watch football. You eat and you sleep and look at the game is bad. Uh, then you're able to get more helpings. You're able to sleep through it. You wake up. Now you got three games. You got three ga- games powers instead of two. So you have an opportunity to really get into that sleep because a lot of these games usually <laughs> are not that exciting. That's the great thing about Thanksgiving. No work. You can eat all day long. You can sleep all day long. And of course, 
you can watch football all day long. Yeah, I mean, obviously Dallas and, and Detroit have always been the staples on Thanksgiving. Here in the last probably 10 years or so, they've added that third game in prime time. And they yep. usually try to make that primetime game a big matchup. This this year, it's New Orleans-Buffalo Thanksgiving night, which would be an interesting matchup um, in New Orleans uh, with the Saints. So, um, you know, back in the day, there was only two games on Thanksgiving. So, like you said, by 7 o'clock, it was lights out. The tryptophan was in full effect, and Peter Blake was sleeping on the couch. But now you got to stay up for that 8 o'clock game on NBC. Well, maybe, maybe, I mean, again, those first two games, but you're exactly right. That stuff started like one, one thirty. if the Detroit Lion game is boring and usually they're not a good team at all. The last 10 to 15 years, they haven't been good ever since Barry Sanders left. I mean, that Calvin Johnson, but it hasn't been competitive. This game probably won't be competitive this year. Uh, you have Dallas and uh, Las Vegas Raiders, and then you got uh, Buffalo and New Orleans. And to me, both teams right now in that primetime matchup are struggling, but Buffalo really needs a win. Yes. These could be all blowout games. Honestly, they could be blowouts. You got, yeah, you I mean, got, like I said, it, Susan, it, Tim uh, looking like Susan Boyle out there <laughs> having more interceptions in college. He had 13 interceptions and one touchdown for Connecticut. How does he have an NFL job as an NFL starter? How How is he in the league? I don't understand. Like Tim Tebow had better stats in college, could probably produce better than Tim Boyle, and yet Boyle is starting for the Lions. I don't get it. Well, I don't they, the, it. The rumor is they think Jared Goff is going to be back Thursday for the Lions, so we may see Jared Goff against Andy Dalton because no Justin Fields for the right. Bears because of the rib injury. So you, we, or we could have a Tim Boyle versus Andy Dalton snoozer at one o'clock, twelve thirty. Yes. That would be an absolute disaster. Well, yeah, geez. That, that, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, unless you're a Bears fan or a Lions fan, you don't care at that point. So that's when, once again, you know, that, that all that's what, what's it called that you said? Trick to trick to trip to fan. Trip to fan. When that, when that kicks in, then you start to fall asleep, but you got to <laughs> at least get two helpings. You got to get two helpings and then you can fall asleep after that. The game is boring, but hopefully it's not, but you're exactly right. It could be Boyle. And I think it will be Boyle versus Dalton. And the rumor is that Matt Nagy will be fired at the end of the game, whether he wins it or loses it. So oh, yeah, I, that is the, that is the, the raging rumor. These last couple of days is, is Friday will be D day for Matt, for Matt Nagy. I would imagine for sure if they lose, but even potentially if they win two Thursday, which would be How was he not fired after the Ravens game. I, I mean, Andy Dalton comes in, throws two touchdowns, big play, uh, less than, you know, one minute to go. Your defense is on the field. You give up uh, deep plays to a, a second string quarterback. I mean, what the hell is going on with the bears and how was Matt Nagy not fired after that? Well, they didn't fire him because they have a game four days later. That's why if they fire him Friday, they'll have the weekend to get a new coach and all that stuff where they're not going to fire a guy with, with two days to prepare for the next game. So that'll be better than what, you know, what, but that was, I mean, how do you lose the game with that, with that big of a, with that? I got lead? you. I mean, I, I get what you're saying. I understand where the NFL is, but then again, I don't understand the NFL. Once again, how does Tim Boyle have a job? How does Matt Nagy have a job? Uh, unsolved mysteries. I got you. All right, let's get to Bucks Colts. Yes. Colts lead the series overall eight to six. Mm-hmm. Remember the Colts for you younger fans. They used to be in Baltimore way back in the day before they had the overnight move in the middle of the night to Indianapolis, the famous Mayflower moving truck 
that moved everybody from Baltimore to Indianapolis with the Ursays. I, I think that happened in what the early 80s, 82, 83, something like that, if I yes. recall. But uh, they've been in, in, in Indianapolis ever since. 1979, the reason that we're going to talk about this game, because as we've talked about in several episodes, 79 was the first big year for the Buccaneers from a playoff perspective. They won 29-26 over the Colts. I believe it was game one of the year, first game of the year. They're down 17-0 in the first quarter, come all the way back to go to overtime, and Neil O'Donohue kicks a field goal early in overtime to send the Buccaneers to the three-point W. And kind of like what a foreshadowing of things to come, if you will, because that team was down 17 to nothing. Bucks fans are saying, oh, no, not again. But you have Doug Williams, you have that offense that comes back. And that was their biggest comeback in their history. So at the point, yep. big game uh, and a great start, not necessarily 17 to nothing, but coming back and winning it 29 to 26. Ten Buccaneers sacks in that game. Ten. Wow. Yeah, wow. <laughs> that defense was pretty good that year. Pretty that's, good. I, mean, I, I bet that's still a franchise record. That 10 would be I, my I, guess. I would that would be my guess too. And uh that three four defense led, of course, by Leroy Selman and uh Richard Batman Wood and a lot of greats on that team. Guys like Randy Crowder, Mark Cotney, those kind of all those guys back in the, you know, Batman Wood, like David Lewis and all those guys. So yeah, I mean. Uh, Randy Crowder with a bunch of sacks in that opening game, but but again, I think I think that 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 kind of game is what catapulted the Bucks to that kind of year, knowing they could come back from a big big deficit. I think the guys had all grown together through the expansion years and Leroy and all that, so I think that was a great you know boost heading into that uh, that early in that nineteen seventy nine season. Absolutely, nineteen eighties. We're only going to talk. I'm going to mention one thing about the '80s. We lost every game against the Colts in the '80s. Shocker. Every game. I Shocker. think they played three or four times in the '80s. We lost them all. And I believe it was '84 they left because the '83 draft, of course, the whole controversy was at the time. Correct. Ernie Acorsi, who was the GM, of course, ended up being the GM of the Giants very later, and he also had his own quarterback controversy. But it was the other shoe on the other foot, if you will. He drafted John Elway, of course. Uh, Jack Elway, his father, didn't want to go there, didn't like the coach. John went with him, didn't want to go. They threatened with the Yankees, and eventually he got traded uh, for, I believe, Chris Hinton. And a bunch of draft picks. A bunch of draft picks, and uh, John Elway went on to be a Hall of Famer. Hinton was okay, and uh, they were right. Uh, and they were they asked the owner at the time, who was uh, Ursay, you know, are you moving? No, we're not moving. Moving and eventually the Mayflower trucks pulled up the next year and they moved. If you f- f- fans out there, I'm, if you've not seen this, ESPN did an unbelievable thirty for thirty on the 1983 draft. Yep, chronicled all those trade rumors and speculations. It was an awesome documentary of the 1983 draft that had Elway, Marino, all those guys from '83. Jim Kelly involved. So look that up, check it out. Um, again. Ernie Acorsi was the GM of the Colts and said, I'm not going to, if you're going to, he basically told the owner, you, if you want to fire me, fire me, but I'm drafting John Elway. Even though he says he's not coming, I'm drafting him. I'm not, I'm not letting somebody else draft John Elway. And and think about it. I mean, if they go for Dan Marino at that point, I mean, there's so many things that could have happened. They could have went for other quarterbacks. You could have traded out, but as of course he said, it was his best prospect he ever ever saw. He was going to do it, and he did it, and he only took like one second or something, one second, and they drafted him, 
And then after that, it, they knew. I mean, they had to know. It was like a Bo Jackson situation. And then, of course, he, of course, being the general manager of the New York Giants, what was he involved in? The Eli Manning, Eli Manning fiasco then that turned into Phillip Rivers and all that stuff. Correct. That's right. They drafted Phillip Rivers, of course, traded Rivers uh, to San Diego for Eli Manning, and the rest is history. So it's funny how the NFL works. Uh, yep. The circle of life, if you will, a little Lion King reference for you. That's it. All right, 1997. Again, the reason I, I picked this year, that, that year's game was, again, that was a, a playoff year for the Buccaneers. Again, Tony Dungy was, in, I believe, year three. Um, year two, was it year two? Or, uh, let me see here. Let me check my notes. That was year two. 96 year two. was his first year. Dungy was in his second year. 97, of course, that's the year they went 10 and six. Correct. And that and they went to the playoffs. And, and again, Trent Dofer led a, 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 a comeback win in Indianapolis. Michael Houston kicks a game-winning field goal late in the fourth quarter after Trent does two, two nice drives in the last 10 minutes of the game for the Bucs to pull out a 31-28 win up in the RCA Dome. Yeah, Carl the Truth really, Williams with the tying touchdown. I watched that on the site there, buckpower.com. Paul, once again, does a great job, brought back so many memories. I want to go back to 92 because this is one of my first Bucks games I ever went to. Okay. And that was during the Sam Weish era, and there were expectations at that point. In fact, the Bucks were getting out to a good start that year. Of course, it's a day after my birthday, and of course, on my birthday in 92 that year, we had at least 25 tornadoes touchdown, and on that day also, Florida State lost to the Miami Hurricanes. I'll never forget it. I was probably on the I was I was on the sideline of that game that that day in 1992, Florida State Miami. That was in Coral Gables. That was the year after 91, correct? It was 91 was wide right the first one. Yep. 92, yep. 92 was I was. I was I was there. I was, was there. Wide, was it wide left? And it was Tamrick Vanover who had a big game. Was it not? You talk about one of the sickest athletes I've ever seen in my life. Tamrick Vanover as a freshman at Florida State. The speed that guy had, mm. that was he was an unbelievable athlete. And I know he played in the NFL for several years and he had some off the field issues. But as a freshman at Florida State, that guy was an unbelievable athlete with unbelievable speed. Who was the starting quarterback in that game? game my friend which for for who for the florida state seminoles i believe that was 92 92 yeah. i believe that was that was not charlie ward yet he was the next year it was jeez i thought it was charlie ward i thought I th ward had two years he played 93 and 94 the next two after i left because i left florida state at the end of the 92 90 at the end of the 92 season Mm -hmm. He played, he came in and played the following years when his fast break offense and all that really took off. So I'm trying to think 1992, who was the quarterback? Dang, I, feel like look, I feel like you got to look it up at this point. I mean, I, I feel like I should look it up right now. We let's, will look it up let's, folks. Let's, let's take a look at this 92 starting quarterback for the Seminoles. I thought it was Charlie Ward. Look at you. You, you look it up and tell me and I'll, I'll talk about the, This is some great. This is some great podcasting right here. <laughs> See, this is where we need. That's to okay, I, and I should know that because I was there. I don't know why I don't know who was the. I can't remember who was the starting quarterback. Well, they that, were eleven and one that year. They yeah, were, that ninety-two so year was weird. They had. I mean, it's it, it lists because I remember I played. I mean, Derek Brooks was on that team in ninety-two. Mm -hmm. You know, I played with you know some of those those guys were were really really 
the yeah, quarterback of that team was Charlie Ward. Was he the starter? Uh, they had Matt Fryer. No, he was a wide receiver. You had another guy, William Floyd, who's from St. Yeah. Petersburg, fullback. Charlie Ward. Charlie Ward, my friend. I told you. Because Charlie Ward, because Charlie Ward at, at that, the next year has the Heisman year, and that's when they lose okay. to Notre Dame, but they end up beating what, Nebraska in the Orange Bowl? Correct. Goodness gracious. That's a long time ago, my yes. friend. I remember all that. Yes, Man, that was Charlie yeah. Ward. And, and, and that was a, and that was a year. Yep. Danny Cannell was on that team. Danny Cannell played a little bit that year as well. So a, a, a tremendous football team. And Tamrick Vanover, I'll never forget. He ran he ran a couple kickoffs back. He was like the kickoff guy's freshman year, kickoff return man. He ran a couple kickoff backs for touchdowns. Unbelievable. Great athlete. You know, just unbelievable, really, really good player. And Woo! That guy was a player. All right. 19, 2003, the infamous Monday night football meltdown by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh. It, the biggest comeback in Monday night football history. The return of Tony Dungy, who had been re- released. Obviously, Gruden, had, Gruden, they'd won the Super Bowl the year before. Um, I mean, just unbelievable. That game was 35-14 with less than five minutes to go in the game. In Tampa, I remember watching it, and it turns into a 35-30. Somehow the game gets to 35-35 at the end of regulation. Well, the somehow was Brian Kelly goes out of the game, and you got Tim Wansley out of Georgia trying to be uh, the next Deion Sanders, and he was getting burnt by Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne. So that's the reason why it it ended up 35-35. to Peyton Manning. Uh, showed his ability and the defense couldn't do anything, couldn't get out of their way. Uh, and then uh, they missed a field goal in overtime. Van, Vanderjack missed a field goal and right. Simeon Rice gets called for jumping over the center, illegally contacting the center, trying to hurdling, basically trying to jump over the center. They get to re-kick it and Vanderjack makes the second kick in overtime to send right. the Bucks to the worst Monday night loss in history, history of Monday night football. My my thought my thought about all that was was how ironic was it was it that Tony Dungy, a defensive guy, he's got Peyton Manning now. They're getting killed. He comes back from they come back from the depths of defeat, offensively related, and they win 38-35. Yeah, 38 to 35 that year was really disappointing. <clears throat> and it, it started out pretty well with them going into the link, of course, and beating Philadelphia 17 to nothing and everybody thinking, you know what? This defense is intact. Uh, they're going to win another Super Bowl, but it did not happen because of injuries that year, especially Joe Jarvis getting hurt. Mike Allstock going out yep. and the Carolina Panthers, the arrival of the Carolina Panthers. And I believe that was the year that they faced the new England Patriots. Absolutely. Led by one Jake DeLome. Yes. Our buddy Jake DeLome from back who give that guy credit. He had a hell of a little run of about five or six years with the Panthers. Sure. Uh, you know, took him to a Super Bowl. Nobody knew Jake DeLome was. He kind of came from the ashes. Kind of reminds me of a, ty- of a Taylor Heineke kind of story that nobody knew who he was. He got a chance in Carolina. He just gradually got better and better. And he led that team with Steve Smith to the Super Bowl where they once again lost to Vinatieri and the Patriots at yeah. the gun. And, and the controversy in that Super Bowl was what? You tell me. Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake. <laughs> the proverbial nipple. 
that was it. That Papa was Nip. That was the Super Bowl. It was an exciting Super Bowl. I it really was. And you talk about Steve Smith, Musin Mohammed. Yeah. Was on that team and defensively. Uh, Julius oh, Peppers. Oh, he's a buck killer. I mean, Kenyatta Walker is still trying to block him and not <laughs> able to do that. And the other kid in the middle, Jenkins. Chris Jenkins. Oh. And some dude, and some, and some dude named Brady was the quarterback for the Patriots that at that time. Some guy, some dude who's who's, you know, didn't have much of a career, I guess, huh? No, no, not at all. Yeah, some some <laughs> guy. Some guy didn't make the Super Bowl in 2002. Everybody's like, ah, the Patriots, they're done. Yeah, it's not their decade. <laughs> they turn out to have a dynasty. <laughs> All right, 2019, another shootout. Year one of, of, of Bruce Arians, 38-35. Jameis Winston sends a, sets a franchise record, 456 yards passing, just a complete score-a-thon. And at that time, it was December, we all thought Arians and Jameis Winston might be a partnership here. But then we saw the how the fateful last couple of games ended. I was at the I was at the Houston game. Obviously, you had the Atlanta game that ended the the nineteen season with the overtime interception. You know, just your thoughts as as Arians and Winston were going through that two thousand nineteen year. We all had high hopes. We knew there was a lot of interceptions still, but we're thinking, right. okay, with this talent, with Coach Arians coaching them up a little bit, maybe Jameis Winston can get rid of some of the turnovers. Yeah, I mean, that was the rumors, but he couldn't do it because he was throwing to Leonard in that game early. They were getting down seven to 14 points, and here comes the offense. The great, you know, the great part about the offense and Jameis Winston is, you know, no biscuit, no biscuit, but unfortunately the turnovers really killed it. They won that day, but these long drawn-out shows that I used to do for uh, Bucks Report as a platform used to go two, three hours trying to explain to people he's going to get better. He's going to get better with this turnover situation. He'll come back next year. He'll be in a second year of his offense. He'll do a lot better. Of course, that didn't necessarily turn out because he killed it with the turnovers, went 30 for 30. But they also remember 61 yards to Mike Evans, and he's out for the year with the hamstring injury, and then Godwin goes out. So you're down to Bersh guard Perryman who was playing on Monday night and he was productive and he leaves uh in that season in free agency so it was a crazy time a lot of rumors going around that they were set on Winston of course they weren't and the question that we'll never know probably till 10 years down the road is and, and we may never know this ever from Arians and Jason Light if Tom Brady doesn't become available what would the Bucks have done would they have re-signed Winston to maybe a short-term contract there was talk of Teddy Bridgewater. You know, right. what would the Bucs have done at the quarterback spot if Tom Brady hadn't become available through free agency? Well, I always heard there was some back channeling going on after the Carolina game in London where he had like five or six turnovers. And uh, again, you would try to go on these shows and say, you know, it was the offensive line and this and that and the other thing. But at the end of the day, it always stayed consistent with Winston making some crazy throws and doing some crazy things. And they weren't always good and weren't always an advantage to this team and put this team in a hole. And I get it. A lot of people say, well, you had an explosive offense. Yeah, but you're putting your defense in a situation where they're on the short field, so they're not as effective. And now we're just turning the page with Tom Brady with him not turning over the ball. It's just like night and day at this point. But you're exactly right. I think there was some back channeling. I think they were exploring it. And, of course, Jason Light was the first one that made the call. That just came out in Sports Illustrated. Uh, to Brady's agent. So they were absolutely interested, and you're exactly right. 
A lot of people around the league, a lot of people in league circles said there was no way Tom Brady was going to get out of New England. It was just, you know, a negotiating ploy, maybe hard feelings. They could put it together too many years together, but you know what? It worked out. It did. It's, it's in, it just, just being in the stadium last night, you can just feel the presence that Tom has amongst the fans. They're all, they're so confident. The fans are, I mean, just the little 10 yard, the one time he ran for 10 yards, the emotion he showed when he got the first down, he was staring right at us in the end zone, just pumping his fist, pointing. Again, it's a game in November. It was an important game for the Bucs, but just the emotion that guy shows that how much he loves the game, even at 44 years old, is just so in, uh, thrilling to see as a fan. The stadium is always, let's go, Tom. I mean, there's just so much confidence in the stands. It's just a fun feeling to be in that stadium like that. It really is, and I know what you're talking about, the 10-yard run, which really not only pumps up that fan base, but punch up, pumps up that coaching staff and the players around him. Here's a 44-year-old quarterback that's trying to get that 10 yards, doing everything he can. Supposedly, he can't run. He's successful in it. it that gives you the momentum uh, for that team going forward against the Giants, and I think that's one of the big parts about urgency. They stressed it all week long. We want to be urgent. We want to come out and score. We don't want to be lethargic. We, won't, we don't want to be a stupid team. And they proved that last night. And Brady is a direct reflection of that team. Make no mistake about it. Absolutely. No, absolutely not. All right, let's get to Sunday in yes. Indianapolis. Uh, kind of a storyline that kind of is getting – I'm sure it'll get some more attention as we get closer to the game. This is Bruce Arians' first return to Indianapolis as a head coach. Wow. After he – you know, obviously he took over Chuck Pagano with the cancer – issue that when he became the interim coach he then had a you know he took the Colts to the playoffs ended up getting the Arizona job just Arians is coming back to Indianapolis it'll be interesting to see what the crowds you know responses to Arians with all he did for, for that organization during those tough times when Chuck Pagano was was going through the cancer treatments yeah coach of the year nine and two for Chuck Pagano uh, great coaching resume by B.A. And, of course, I think the main matchup not only is B.A. returning to Indy, but also this Jonathan Taylor, who B.A. was talking about yeah. today, how he loved him coming out of Wisconsin. There were people out there saying, well, you got too many carries. He's not going to transition over to the NFL. Oh, really? Right. In the MVP uh, conversation, and it's going to be against the second-ranked rush defense, which, by the way, may have Vita Vea back. So that is going to be the matchup, Jason Powers. Offensive line versus defensive line. Quentin Nelson, pro bowler versus Vita Vea. Sue. And Dominican Sue and Shaq Barrett and JPP. Boy, oh boy, get your uh, get your popcorn ready. Buckle up that seatbelt. It may be a bumpy ride, but I like the Bucks in the close one. No, I mean, again, I think, I think if you look at the matchup, if you're the Buccaneers, especially from a defensive perspective, you want to put the ball in Carson Wentz's hands. Make right. him beat you, throw in the ball. They got a good – Pittman's a good receiver. He's had a really good year. They don't have a lot else other than the Michael Pittman Jr. at the, at the wideout spot. So, you know, they're tight. They use their tight ends a lot, a lot of misdirection, throwbacks, things like that to the tight ends. Reich is a pretty good play caller. But put the ball in Carson Wentz's hands. He's shown he's willing, not afraid to throw the ball to the other team. Can we catch it when he throws it to us? And, two, he gets a little careless with the ball in the pocket as well. So strip sacks, things like that. You know, we we saw him throw the one left-handed interception out of the end zone, which was, was a disaster. But make Carson Wentz win the game for the Colts. Don't let this be a second and four, second and three situation. 
shut down the Colts running game on first down, put the game in Carson Wentz hands. And I think the Buccaneer defense will be able to have some success. Conversely, Indianapolis's defense is a little underrated. They're pretty good. Mm-hmm. You got DeForest Buckner. You got some, you got Darius Leonard. They got a pretty good secondary. So again, how do the Buccaneers attack this, this Colts defense? You saw last week, they, the, the bills tried to throw it every other, every down. It seemed like four interceptions for Josh Allen. You have to mix in the running game. I think they did a good job last night for net your boy, Ronald Jones with some consistent running again, screens. They threw a lot of screens, check downs, things like that. That's then going to open up the outside for Godwin and Evans and for Gronkowski up the seam to do their business. And here's a statistic for you, Jason Powers. The Colts are six and five on the season. They're six and oh this year when they rush for more than 125 yards. They are 0 and five when they rush for less than 125. And guess what? The Bucs all year long have only allowed 78 yards a game, 784 rushing yards on the season. Once again, get your popcorn ready. This is a game, again, this is a perfect kind of game for Devin White and Levante David. Yep. Sue and Sue and Vay or Sue and McClendon or Sue and Roaches are going to be occupying the garden tax the center and the guards. This is a Devin White kind of game. You want some Jonathan Taylor? Here he comes. Yep. That's it. That's it. Mono a mono. Nothing fancy. Although, you know, if the Bucs are looking for the running game, of course, you talked about it. Michael Pittman Jr., who, by the way, you know, had a famous father who played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Michael Pittman. So it's just crazy. Once again, the circle of life in the National Football League. In a way you can neutral if you're the Buccaneers, again, like they did last night. If you can get out in front early, 10-0, 14-3 kind of score, that neutralizes how much they're going to be able to use Jonathan Taylor. So play with the lead, get the lead. That's going to then dictate how they how how the Colts then have to play. And again, yeah. I think if Carson Wentz has to throw it forty times, advantage Buccaneers. Advantage Buccaneers, but look, they've got to be road warriors at this point. Five and zero, Jason, uh, at home, scoring over thirty points a game, uh, and only twenty three point four on the road at two and three. So right. look, if you don't get the number one seed, you're going to be on the road. So you better start winning now. You better figure this road situation out because they're a different team. And if you come out and you set the table, if you will, using the Thanksgiving reference, then that basically takes the crowd out of the game. You get a big score. You get first score. You take the crowd out of the game. You put the Colts in a situation where they have to be one-dimensional and takes their running game out of it. That's what you want. And this is, and remember, fans, this game is the added – is the 17th game of the schedule. This was the 17th game where the Buccaneers have to – where the AFC hosts all the games this year and the NFC will have the nine home games next year. So this is theoretically the ninth road game for the Buccaneers. This was the matchup that was the 17th matchup based on the extra game being added to the schedule. Even though it's this week of the, of the season, it's the, it was the 17th game that was added. So another little intri- little intricacy of this game that this is theoretically the ninth road game for the Buccaneers. So give me a prediction, Peter, Peter uh, Blake. We got a one o'clock game. You and I are going to be at Duckies. Yeah. Free game, halftime, post game. Yep. Give me a prediction from the from the uh, what's the name? That's uh, Lucas Oil Lucas Oil Stadium. Uh, I'll go 31-28 Tampa Bay. Uh, definitely tune in because I may change that score prediction. And of course, tune in to NSPN. I love St. Pete and the evolution of sports talk television. It's the Sports Web 
live tomorrow with Dennis Phillips of ABC Action News. Leo Haggerty, the legend. Harry the Greek, my professional handicapper. Who knows? Maybe even the power man will get on. Do three things for me. We all know. We all love them. Bring your passion. Bring your excitement. Just don't bring any nonsense. I'm your host, Peter Blake, giving you something to think about. That's right. Peter does an awesome job with the setup at the pregame show at Duckies on Sunday. If you're in the, again, if you're in the Tampa Bay area, I know it's a long weekend for a lot of people traveling all that, but if you're back in the Bay area Sunday, stop by Duckies. We'll be there again. It'll be a bit, it'll be a big, it's a bit, it's a, it's a rare one o'clock game for the Buccaneers and it'll be, it's a big game. So it'll be, I'm sure Duckies will be packed. They got a great, they got a great menu, great service, great staff, great setup, TVs galore. You can watch any game you want. They do a great job putting all the games on all the time. So we'll be out there Sunday. Duckies on West Kennedy Boulevard. Uh, check out my powers on sports podcasts and uh, as well. And I also got to get before we get out of here, I got to give a shout out to TJ Reeves. I yes. got to see TJ last night at the game. I went down to uh, halftime and went and saw him in the end zone for a couple minutes. So TJ did great work with the Buccaneer on the Buccaneer Radio Network. He's got his own go to the Three Dog Thursday podcast. TJ Reeves is involved as well with that. And again, I want to thank Paul Stewart, buckpower.com. I know Paul and TJ, we're taping this on Tuesday night. They're at the Lightning game tonight together, Paul yeah. and TJ. Yeah, I know. And last check, the Lightning were winning one to nothing. Of course, their big time injuries uh, coming back, uh, hopefully not to haunt them. Nikita Kucherov and Braden Point out indefinitely. So we'll see how the Lightning can uh, pick it up. But yeah, it's the. Bro, uh, where are our tickets? I know. Where, 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 where the heck is our tickets, TJ? Where are our tickets, Paul? TJ? Oh, come come on. TJ, where are the tickets at? Come on. We got, we're on the Paul Stewart World Tour here. We want to go to the Lightning game. We don't want to sit at home. <laughs> I mean, we can do, do the podcast out there. I'll bring my camera, my lights, and everything. We all know about that. I mean, my gosh. <laughs> Come on. All right, one more thing I want to promote. We're going to also be, before we get out of here, we're going to be covering the uh, Jake Paul boxing event in Tampa, December 18th at Amelie Arena. Two football guys are fighting in this in, on this card, Peter Blake. Frank yeah. Gore and Darren Williams. <laughs> I mean, could it get NBA guy? Darren Williams, right. NBA guy for the Utah Jazz. I, I tell you right now, does he go LeBron James on him? I mean, does the NBA player go LeBron James or is it Jeez. Frank Gore? To me, it's Frank Gore. I mean, how do you how do you how do you root against Frank Gore? The guy has played forever in the National Football League. I can't believe he doesn't have a job right now. Uh his his toughness, his tenacity. It'll be a good fight, but of course, all eyes will be on Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury. And we will be there. You and I and TJ Reeves will be there covering the fight as well. One more nugget of information I'm going to drop on you. Tuesday night, this just happened. Adrian Peterson cut by the Tennessee Titans tonight. Yeah, 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 he's done. He's pretty much done at this point. Uh, I actually predicted him to go over 100 yards versus the Texans. Uh, <laughs> it didn't happen. So, uh, yeah, I'm not looking too good on that prediction right now. And, Peter, so, I got to give you one more I gotta give you one more update on me. Yes. I'm in a survivor pool, right? Yeah. And so I'm one of four people left for five Gs. I hope you get it, my friend. How my did Buccaneers – my Buccaneers was my pick last night in my survivor pool. So a bunch of people lost on the top on Tennessee on Sunday against those Texans. I have my, my pick was the Buccaneers. I'm one of four, four or five people left in a $5,000 survivor pool. 
I, I, I offered up a settlement. So I think I'm going to probably cash about five or 600 bucks. And then we're going to play for the rest of the money. So I'm going to have a little Christmas, a little extra Christmas money. Hopefully I will. They're going to settle. We're going to have a, a negotiated settlement, but I'm going to cash about 600 bucks. And then we're going to play for the remaining 2,500. What are you getting me? Well, if you get me to the finish line, brother, we'll have a nice dinner out. How about that? <laughs> Sounds good. It sounds get, good, my brother. We will have a nice dinner out celebrating the, the no quarter year one of the no quarter given podcast. How about that? Love it. Love it. Sounds good, Jason Powers. All right. My prediction score is going to be Bucks 33, Indianapolis 24, 33 24 final in Indianapolis. Brady with another good game. Ryan Suckup's going to have some field goals. I think you're going to see a lot of offense in the game. And the Bucs will do just enough on defense to get it done to go to eight and three. So for Peter Blake, Jason Powers, no quarter given podcast, Paul Stewart. If you haven't seen that, go to his podcast as well. He's going back to England in a few days, but we appreciate it. Subscribe, rate and review. Tell your friends about us. No quarter given podcast. We are your home for Buccaneers rivalries all throughout the year. Next week, it will be the... I believe it's the Buffalo Bills. Is that is that correct? Oh, it's the Atlanta Falcons. My bad. In Atlanta, right. I might actually be going to that game, by the way. I'll know that later in the week. I might be going up to Atlanta for wow. a little Saturday, Sunday, Alabama, Georgia, Buccaneer Falcon doubleheader in Atlanta next weekend. Well, I better have, uh, you know, some post-game reaction from you. I always enjoy that, my friend. You got it. All right, Peter Blake, have a great Thanksgiving. Tell your mom, keep up the good cooking. Yes. The trip fam. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be at my step, my dad's stepmom's house, eating like a pig. Hopefully yeah. not too much. Some good mashed potatoes. And Buck fans, we'll see you next week at 8 and 3 in the Atlanta Falcons on the No Quarter Given Podcast. Have a great week. Join us again soon for another preview of a scallywag buccaneer foe when we come back with another No Quarter Given podcast. And make sure for the best in historical buck coverage, you go to buckpower.com. And as always, keep listening to the buckpower.com podcast network.